Hello and welcome to the 8th episode of the Fantasy For Real podcast. I'm your host, as always, CJ Freel, and on today's show, we keep it rolling with more NFL and prospect profiles. On the first half of the show, we'll discuss a few more value points I found interesting on the market aggregates like Keep Trade Cut, like Fantasy Calc, and then later on in the show, I'll profile some prospects, primarily Jaden Daniels and Lad McConkey. Finally, if you enjoy the show or value the advice, I'm going to go into my draft schedule after that to make sure this audience is as prepared as possible, as well as discuss the new name and logo. But before I get into any of that, this show is very new and I would enjoy continuing to grow the listener base and the best way for you to help me do that is to follow the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And I'd also say leave a review. It would mean a lot to me. I'd prefer you leave a five-star review, particularly if you hand them out like candy. But if the show isn't five stars, do be fair. All I ask is, if possible, tell me what I can do better. So the first segment on today's show is something that I was originally planning on doing as a single segment and a single show, and then I kind of turned it into planning to make it two segments and two shows, and then the profile started getting a little longer too, and so now I'm kind of seeing it as my excuse moving forward to profile NFL players. So this is kind of like a new unnamed segment dealing with these NFL values. The players that I discussed on the last segment that was like this were Kyler Murray, Jordan Love, Anthony Richardson, Nico Collins, Tajay Spears. On the Nico Collins and Tajay Spears side, I also talked about, or especially the Nico Collins side, I also talked about a few players that were above him since I was on the undervalued side on the Nico Collins side of things. But the most important thing to remember from the last section of the show is that there are a lot of important contextual things that go into dynasty rankings, right? So I might have to say some things about what context I'd be buying or selling these players or what it really means to consider these players over or undervalued. So to begin the day, the main player probably that I'm going to be talking about is Kenneth Walker, who is currently the RB9 and is obviously the running back for the Seattle Seahawks. Kenneth Walker, since his days in college, has had excellent burst and balance for his size in particular, which are my two main traits. He also has open field feel and vision that's very high level. Now, he's too experienced for the college to really matter, but it's important to note that he's so young that there are two rookies on this list where one is older than him and one in Ricky Pearsall and one is only two months younger than him in Jaden Daniels. Now, his overall efficiency did take a pretty major downturn from 2022 to 2023, especially if if you look at the yards per attempt stat, but we have two specific reasons for this. Number one, the injury, and number two, the difference in the breakaway play percentage. So the injury may be the most important thing, but there's also not a lot to talk about, obviously, because I'm not a doctor, and even if I was, I don't know what all I could say about it. I can tell you that he had a calf and an oblique injury, and I don't really believe that you can project injury specifically or especially at the running back position. The other thing I think is more interesting to look at statistically or dive into, because in in terms of big plays, 43% of his yardage in 2022 came on carries that were over 15 yards. In 2023, only 28% of his yardage came over 15 plus carries so the result in this is that his carries when you take those those numbers out his his numbers on carries that didn't go 15 yards those actually went up and his overall success rate in terms of percentage of carries where he had a successful play as deemed by a couple they're, they're all numbers about proportion how many numbers you need based on your down and distance based on those statistics 
Kenneth Walker did actually far better despite the fact that his yards per attempt went down. So this is a key statistic for me because the explosive plays to me are very volatile. And so because the explosive plays are volatile, you can kind of sell yourself into this idea that if the stable things are getting just a little bit better, if the, if the volatile things turn back around or positively regress to the mean, you can get the really exciting upside that you saw people talking about last year in particular. Now, aside from the consistency flaws, the number one thing that has played Kenneth Walker's profile since his days in college is a lack of receiving profile. And I think the number one reason that I'm listing Kenneth Walker as a buy here is that there were some intriguing things in the receiving profile that don't really get talked about because when you do positive things in an overall negative year, they usually don't get talked about. And so because Kenneth Walker didn't hit the expectations we have, and because the numbers weren't wildly different, we don't talk about it that much specifically the receptions number which is a huge thing because of how we grade there or how we score things specifically in ppr those didn't change very much at all if at all but the yards per reception the yards per target the yards per route run the effectiveness on the receptions based on also judgment stats from things like pff he caught 88 percent of his targets instead of 80 percent of his targets all of these things got significantly better to the point where even though he did get targets even though he did a, a, a fine job as a rookie in 2022 there wasn't a lot of evidence there that you could say okay i can see the pass catching future for kenneth walker now the volume is still fairly low the adot is below is behind the line of scrimmage it's below zero so there are some some things there where i'm not necessarily saying that he's going to be you know jameer Gibbs. okay this guy isn't probably going to be ever that but in terms of what you can project him to be generally as a receiver, I think you, for the first time, saw some really high-level promise that he can be above average, or at least average. And so I think that's very key on Kenneth Walker and why I'm kind of buying into Kenneth Walker, because Kenneth Walker's profile feels a bit safer than a couple of the running backs above him, right? So let's get into a couple of the guys that I'm taking Kenneth Walker over, which would particularly be Kyron Williams and Devon Achan. Because while I love these two players, and again, a lot of this comes down to philosophy, because I think both of these players do profile as having more upside on a per-game basis. And at the end of the day, this is a weekly game because of the way Kyron and Achan were used last season. But ultimately, I see that there's a there's still a lot of upside with Kenneth Walker to me. There's still a lot of ceiling to be a top five running back, to be even a top three running back on a yearly basis. And I think the safety is just a little bit higher. In terms of Kyron Williams, I think it's one of those situations, especially if you're looking at it in a two-year window, but even if you're looking at it in a one-year window, I completely understand why we believe that the Rams aren't going to do anything different and they're just going to lean on Kyron Williams. But you also have to ask yourself, what would it actually take for this value to take a hit? Because Kenneth Walker, we've seen him have a running back drafted, what, 50th, 55th in Zach Charbonnet, and his value till still today is running back nine. Now, I know that's why a lot of people would be hesitant to buy him, but my point here is that if Kyron Williams has a running back even close to that kind of investment, even pick 75, that's going to cause a lot of questions to come up in the market. And so that's why I wouldn't be buying Kyron Williams at his price, whereas I would be potentially buying Kenneth Walker and then Devon Achan. Love Devon Achan from his Texas A&M, despite the size, and, but it's always been 
less of a translation issue directly, especially once he got to a scheme like Mike McDaniel, and always going to be a bit of a, a durability and a usage question. Now, I said earlier that I don't project durability, and that is true, but I do project the perception of durability, and the perception of durability is very important to NFL coaches. So even if you wanted to make the argument that Devon Achan is just as likely to get injured as Kenneth Walker and all of these three players, Kenneth Walker, uh, Devon Achan, and Kyron Williams dealt with injury in 2023. I think you can argue strongly that the perception of Devon Achan will always be that he cannot take the workload, especially compared to a Kenneth Walker, who, while not big, is substantially closer to a regular-sized running back, for lack of a better term, or a average-sized running back at the NFL level. So because of that perceived durability, I think it's more likely over the course of two, three years that Walker is going to continue to get a decent workload. And if you want to make the argument that durability is at least somewhat related to size, I would also probably lean that way as well. So that makes me feel a little bit more comfortable with Walker. The way that most value systems are tiering the running back position right now, they have Brees Hall, Bijan, Gibbs in some order, and then CMC is usually slightly behind them, but obviously it all kind of matters how you perceive the age and what you want to do in the next year. And then you have Jonathan Taylor at five, Travis Etienne at six, Kyron Williams at seven, Devon Achan at eight, and Kenneth Walker at nine. And there's kind of a, a split in the tier between Travis Etienne at six and Kyron Williams at seven. While there are some disappointing things from Kenneth Walker this past season, I still feel like Kenneth Walker is a bit closer to that ETN price at six. Now, I'm not necessarily saying I would rank him at the exact same price as ETN or that I'd rank him over ETN or Taylor, but that is the tier I feel more comfortable putting him in than the Kyron HN tier. And just one quick final thing, uh, just something I forgot to get to on my notes, but it is worth noting that uh, Kenneth Walker has a very good ball security record. He has only one fumble in over 400 NFL touches. He has only three fumbles in over 900 touches between college and the NFL, and he has only two fumbles since his freshman year. So that's two fumbles in like his last 850 touches or 850 carries or something like that. So very good ball security from Kenneth Walker. So next, while I am going to cover two players, they're a bit more established, so this might go a bit quicker. DK Metcalf, who turns 27 in December, and T. Higgins, who turns 26 next January, are two players I am buying at their current market price. So maybe this is a bit philosophical, but I often find wide receivers in the 25 to 27 year old age range to be targets against the market for myself year over year. I believe this is because I believe long-term planning exists only in about a three-year window, and so anything outside of three years I think is exponentially less valuable. DK Metcalf in the three-year window has three full years before the year in which he turns 30 at the year. So to be clear, in the fourth full season, he will turn 30 in December, with Higgins being one year and one month younger than that. So T. Higgins has four full years and then really five full years, but will turn uh, the next age in January of the fifth full year. So while these players aren't as young as Drake London, and so while Drake London might theoretically have, say, three years longer to play with, those kind of age differences don't nearly matter to me as much as, say, the difference between DK Metcalf and Tyreek Hill. Now, there, I think there's a lot of psychological things that go into DK Metcalf and T. Higgins, and I don't know how many of the people who currently have them have those 
psychological things and how many that's just people who have had them and been spurned in the past affecting the market aggregates. But I think it's important to note that it does exist in the market that DK Metcalf and T Higgins are these two players who have been very, very good, consistently very, very good. And we can talk about T Higgins 2023 in a minute, but outside of that season, been consistently very, very good players, but at one point were considerably considered higher, by which I mean after his second year, DK Metcalf was a borderline first-round uh, startup pick. If you were in a one-quarterback league, he was certainly a first-round startup pick. It just really depended on how many quarterbacks were going if you were playing in a super flex league. And then T. Higgins, there were a lot of conversations on the social medias that I frequent over years were one of the biggest debate wars over the last few years was T. Higgins or C.D. Lamb. And man, T. Higgins is very good. I'm talking about him as a buy right now, but C.D. Lamb, people are talking about now as being in the Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase tier. And so because T. Higgins isn't that, because D.K. Metcalf is a disappointment to anybody who bought him within like, say, a two or three year period, these guys kind of get knocked a little bit but at the end of the day it's important to note that diminished shine does not make these guys bad players now again i do want to talk about higgins 2023 because i think there's some good and some bad i think you can focus on the bad and say there were a lot of drops which aren't characteristic and that there was a lower contested catch percentage so whether there's an injury or there was an injury and there was an injury to his quarterback but there were things that you know, look bad on paper, but even through those things, he still had some reasonably high numbers in terms of his yards per outrun, in terms of his yards per target. They weren't target numbers, but they weren't bad. They weren't awful. And so the 2023 doesn't bother me because even despite those things, despite having to play through the injuries, he did have some decent efficiency numbers overall, which shows how good of an overall T Higgins is as a receiver to me. So T Higgins has been very consistent. And then DK Metcalf kind of feels like he's on pace in a sense to be like a next Mike Evans, just four years younger. Now, DK Metcalf doesn't have a chance to do the thousand yard thing, but you could also argue that the thousand yard thing is fairly arbitrary. I'm not trying to knock it too much, but like the difference between 999 yards and a thousand, that single yard is not really that much more valuable than any other yard. And I guess the real point being that DK Metcalf has 900 and 967 yards in his two quote unquote down seasons. So he's pretty consistently in the same metronomic level that, Mike Evans was at certain points of his career. And the whole point in that comparison is that Mike Evans was consistently ranked or undervalued at certain points of his career, just because if he had one of his more down or more uninspiring years, it just kind of felt like we got bored with them because at the end of the day, DK Metcalf, the last two years per 17 games is at 80 receptions, 1114 yards and 7.2 touchdowns. Now it is worth pointing out that both of these players do have kind of murky quarterback futures. Obviously I'm not talking about Joe Burrow, but there's obviously a, a question about whether T Higgins will be a Bengal long-term and DK Metcalf obviously doesn't know who his quarterback is going to be outside of the near future. Cause even if you're someone who believes that Geno Smith can have another good season, maybe another good two seasons, maybe you're not believing in much outside of that. So there is some murky quarterback futures here. And I do understand that, but these are very good players whose age is at the point where I really don't have any age 
problem. So who are some players that I've seen ranked higher than them? Here's some of the younger players that I'm talking about earlier in Drake London, Michael Pittman, Rasheed Rice, and Tank Dell. Specifically, if I could say have one of those players and trade down, so, so to speak, to a Higgins, to a Metcalf, and add something like a rookie pick, that would be one of my most ideal trades in this circumstance. Because frankly, I think as much as we want to get into the obsession about what Drake London, for example, and I'm not trying to single out Drake London, but since he's such a a size archetype and these guys are such size archetypes, I think there's a, a natural conversation to be had here. And I think everyone's really excited right now for what Drake London can be because of, you know, the change in offensive philosophy, the idea that the quarterback position can't possibly be worse. And even if it is, it's probably not going to be that much worse for that long. It can't be that sustainably bad for that long. At least you hope. No offense, Falcons fans, but I think the Falcons fans are mostly agreeing with me in how bad the quarterback play has been recently. But I think, again, Falcons fans probably agree with the idea that if Drake London's next two seasons averaged out to 80 receptions, 1114 yards, and 7.2 touchdowns, they'd be pretty happy. Obviously, again, there's a ceiling to what you want. Do you want him to be a 1,300-yard guy? Do you want him to be a 1,500-yard guy? Do you want him to be a 2,000-yard guy? Of course you do. And do you think that there's probably a slightly higher chance that he does that than DK Metcalf? Of course. But I think we also have to kind of be realistic and objective and understand that Drake London hitting 1,100 yards consistently should be considered like a 60th, 70th percentile outcome for that player and DK Metcalf that right now and the only difference in age matters what in 2027 2028 2029 I cannot think that far ahead so that is why these players I'd rank higher than the younger players and they're some of my favorite buys to make as the slightly more expensive buys to contenders you contrast this with a player like DJ Moore who I love DJ Moore and would value DJ Moore over these two players But DJ Moore, Higgins, Metcalf, they all came into last year at a fairly similar place. And while I understand why Moore is being valued more highly, production in a single season is not always as sticky as we make it out to be, specifically at the wide receiver position. And it really feels like if you're thinking about buying one of these three, there's no way you should be considering DJ Moore compared to Metcalf and Higgins. I I think these guys should be grouped closer together. The first four players, the younger players I listed, those are players I would outright take Higgins and Metcalf over in a startup draft. DJ Moore, I would take over Hickens and Metcalf in a startup draft, but they are much closer in tier to me and say, maybe I might trade down from a DJ Moore pick uh, around in a startup draft, pick something up later and then get a DK Metcalf or a T Higgins. And so I did mention those were two of my favorite buys at the slightly more expensive side of the wide receiver position. So now I'm going to talk about my favorite buy overall, who's quite a bit cheaper. And I think the reason he's my favorite buy just to set this up is that so many times we think about the contender buys as some of the more old players. But if you can get a contender buy who's closer to 26, 27, like I was talking about earlier in the show, who isn't as much of an all-in play, I really like those contender buys. And a 27-year-old contender buy who's ranked wide receiver 36 on the aggregates before you include rookies, which will bump him outside of the top of the wide receiver three range on aggregates, most likely, is Christian Kirk, the wide receiver from the Jacksonville Jaguars. 
Now, just like DK Metcalf is one year and one month older than Higgins, Christian Kirk is one year and one month older than DK Metcalf. So he is, again, progressively getting older on this scale. He really only has the two full years before the 30-year-old age range. But again, the price range is very much different. And that's going to be the key to almost everything I say, right? There's going to be a lot of things where it's like, okay, well, is that perfect? Is that the perfect way to do the analysis? Is that the perfect way to project what Christian Kirk might be moving forward? Maybe, maybe not. But the theory of it all definitely spells out a player who should be valued at a much higher range than say wide receiver 40 45 when we're projecting how much hype some of these rookie wide receivers are going to get when they get drafted so this won't be fairly simple is it a little bit cherry picking as i just mentioned yes it is but and i'll talk about it in a bit but his first game and his last game of the season were by far his worst game now i think even if you project out his stats based on the 12 games he played you get some fairly good numbers that people don't really expect but if you take out the 12th game where he only played one snap because he got one catch and got injured and that one's a fairly objective and easy one to argue about taking out and then you take out the first game which he did play the second lowest number of snaps that he played all season now it was 23 and i think the subjective argument is that maybe with it being calvin ridley's first game they were trying to focus on calvin ridley a bit more than they would would do in a normal game script situation that's just subjective but if you take out his two book in games in a 10 game sample christian kirk had 77 targets 55 receptions, 753 yards, and three touchdowns. The 5.1 touchdown pace is not great, but that is a 17-game pace of 131 targets, 93.5 receptions, and 1,280 receiving yards. And as much as that might sound outlandish because of how we're valuing Christian Kirk right now, he had 1,200 yards in 2022. So it's not that far off of what he was doing before. So is it slightly bad process, or might some people claim that it's bad process to take out these two worst games or these two bookend games probably but it's also that i'm not trying to argue this might argue as a 27 year old guy if i was trying to argue that he was a 27 year old wide receiver who had 1200 yards in the last two seasons that's like saying he should be the wide receiver 24 i'm not saying he should be the wide receiver 24 i'm just saying you should go out and buy him if you can get him anywhere close to the wide receiver 36 and so i think that's the big difference in why these cherry picking numbers and you can call them cherry picking numbers if you want that's what i'm calling them i think that's why they are still defensible but if you want to go aside from that if you want to take it a completely different direction christian kirk has played in 29 total games with the jacksonville jaguars and including the one where he played in one snap and including in the one where he was kind of shunned out of the game plan at least subjectively he is averaging over 17 games 128 targets 83 receptions 1111 yards and 6.4 touchdowns per 17 game season that is an excellent wide receiver I will also say anecdotally, and this is a little bit of an unfair thing to say and set up like this because I don't think it really gets at the heart of all the problems that the Jacksonville Jaguars were having last season, but it is objectively the truth that in the 12 games that Christian Kirk played, which does include the game he played one snap, the Jaguars went eight and four. In the games that Christian Kirk was hurt, the Jaguars went one and four. Now, again, and they only beat the Carolina Panthers. Now, again, I don't think that's necessarily indicative of anything, but the point is that it at least kind of helps to give the narrative that this might not be a football player that we should just ignore. And kind of in the similar way that Shine 
and losing shine, I think, is what makes DK Metcalf and T. Higgins values. I still think Christian Kirk has gotten a little too much crap for the contract that he got and everybody thought was an overpay. And then everybody just thought, you know, now we get to call this guy bad because he got overpaid in the contract. In Christian Kirk's last three years, he has a thousand yard season, a twelve hundred yard season, and this season, which was stopped short of entry, which is on pace for about a nine hundred to thousand yard season without adjusting for the numbers. And if you do adjust for the numbers, again, you can get numbers that are much higher than that. So Christian Kirk, definitely a player I'm looking to buy. And I think comparatively, it's really easy for me because I never like buying 30-year-old wide receivers really on the trade market because we do see statistically that around 30, around 31, you can get into problems with absolute fall-offs. Again, I'm not saying that they always happen, but they're much scarier. And there's also situations where like, say a player gets injured, you're far less likely to be able to recoup value or have that value rebound or have that player be just the same guy the next year around if they're getting injured at 30 31 so there's significant risks here so there's all-in players like keenan allen like amari cooper like cooper cup like mike evans like Devonte adams where when you hear those names you think buy buy now for my contender and i, I really understand where that comes from but Christian Kirk is a guy who, by standard deviations, might not be that much worse than those guys if he actually is an 1106 guy, which I think is a, actually a fairly fair projection for Christian Kirk. If you can get an 1106 guy who doesn't have nearly as many of the red flags because he's not 30 years old yet, and he actually has a couple years before he gets 30 years old, or the potential red flags, you might say, I think that makes him a far better buy for any contender that's not all, all in. If you are, if you're some kind of weird build where you already have Devontae Adams, you already have Keenan Allen, you already have Travis Kelsey, you, your quarterbacks are like Aaron Rodgers and d d you know someone else. I don't know, but if you're that kind of build, I can understand not agreeing with this logic. But most contenders should not be all, all in. They should just be guys with young players and old players who are trying to win titles. And in that situation, one of my favorite depth players or whatever you want to call him to add to a team right now at value is Christian Kirk. And so, like I said, I do hope to continue this segment. It's kind of become my excuse to profile NFL players a little bit because I've obviously been profiling prospects quite a bit with the NFL draft cycle. And because I spend so much time talking about prospects, those are the kind of questions I get the most. But it, I think it's important, especially for a young show, to demonstrate all the different things we're going to do here. And that includes talking about any player in the NFL that's kind of deemed to be a controversial value for whatever you want to dis distinguish that. You know, the conversations I don't really love to have are the conversations between like three great players and who do you want who who would you list the highest which i know is important to people who are in super startup drafts but at the same time i feel like the difference between who's going to be better over the next three years between cd lamb and justin jefferson is one of those things that's just really really hard to predict because ultimately it's just going to come down more to just the randomness that generate production on a year in year out basis. I want to talk about the players who have truly controversial values, who can move up and down through tiers, not players who are really established in those tiers. And I think this gives me an excuse to both do that and profile NFL players. But on that note, it's time to get back into the prospects, starting with Jaden Daniels, profiling Ladd McConkey in a little bit more detail, and then touching on Ricky Pearsall, who I did say, say I would talk about. And I did watch again, because I said, I would talk about him, though I did detail him in more detail in the second episode of the show. 
Before we get back into the show, I have no sponsors, so I just have to sponsor myself right now. If you could, just tell somebody else about the show, or just remember to listen next week. That would mean a lot to me. I don't want to take too much of your time, so I'm just going to get back into the show and into some prospect values. Before we get into Jane Daniels, I want to talk some philosophy when it comes to scouting rushing quarterbacks in particular. A lot of the faith in rushing quarterbacks stems from a floor in rushing yards and touchdowns that can provide a game-to-game consistency and also upside that can come especially in leagues that separate six-yard rushing touchdowns and four-yard passing touchdowns. Now, my belief is that particularly for these quarterbacks, what you want to focus on is how many negative plays they have. Obviously, there's all kinds of other things, big plays, consistency. I'm not saying these things aren't as important, but particularly for our game when we're forecasting a fan fantasy quarterback and how a rushing fantasy quarterback can have consistency or faith, I like to solely focus more on the negative plays because incompletions are bad. Incompletions are not good. I'm not going to sell you on this idea that incompletions are good. But when you consider, not even in the X's and O's ways, not even in the quarterback rusher gets the extra blocker ways, I'm talking on a big picture scale, the way that the quarterback position, the rushing quarterback, has the default option on early down to pick up a few yards and the way that on third downs they have the opportunity to convert that backup plan of a rush for the first down those two things really affect the idea that you can stay ahead of schedule more easily and I think that is the big picture item that the rushing quarterback gives you even more so than the scheme even more so than the X's and O's I think that is the thing that it gets you and so for that reason sacks and interceptions are the two things that are going to kill your ability to stay ahead of schedule or significantly ahead of schedule. So again, I'm not saying that incompletions are not important, but I've used this methodology for looking into rushing quarterbacks the last two years. I did specifically create the theory because I did not like a specific rushing quarterback, which was Malik Willis because of the amount of sacks and interceptions he threw. So it's a little bit biased in terms of how the theory came about, but I do think the theory is sound and can definitely be used to think about how rushing quarterbacks can be seen as having this fantasy floor that we often associate with them because ones that have high negative plays are not going to be able to see the field as often. And it's important also to note that last year, Anthony Richardson scored very, very highly using this methodology because his interceptions, he had some bad interceptions early in the year, but he didn't have a ton overall. He didn't have many at all down the stretch if you were really focusing on those last 10 games. And even adjusting for his very good offensive line, Anthony Richardson was very good at not taking sacks. So when you consider the lack of sacks and the lack of interceptions, even though Anthony Richardson had a ton of incompletions, this methodology of looking at rushing quarterbacks was very uh, positive towards Anthony Richardson. So why this is important with Jaden Daniels is that all these conversations about Jaden Daniels come down to how do you compare the first four years of his career to the breakout in 2023? And I want to start on something that he's done his entire career, which is avoid turnovers. Because Daniels has 1,800, over 1,800 career dropbacks, almost 1,450 pass attempts, and he has only 20 interceptions. That's a rate of 1.4% a pass attempt and 1.1% a dropback. And with 10 
10 in 2021, which is an outlier season for him. He was much better in his first two years and his last two years. His last two years being the LSU year, he threw an interception at less than 1% of his pass attempts with LSU and only 0.77% of his drop back. So those are some insanely good numbers that are consistent throughout his career. That's not something that changed going into his 2023 seasons. Now, the sacks are a little bit different. The sacks did change a little bit. He did better in that category, in the pressure to sack category in 2023 than he had his previous years. And at some of those previous years, he did have a little bit of a concern in the pressure to sack category. So that does make something to think about in regards to Jaden Daniels. But overall, looking at him through this lens, through this lens that only tries to rate rushing and negative plays to judge if somebody has an opportunity, do I think they're more likely to have a fantasy floor? I think Jaden Daniels does well in it overall because I don't think the sacks are as big of a red flag. I don't think the sacks are a red flag. I just don't think they're a very strong area to whereas the interceptions are very, very strong. And he also does not have a fumbling problem, especially compared to his peers. It does feel a little too early in a profile to bring up a comp, but you can compare Jaden Daniels in these senses in particular to Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod Taylor is a player who did a very good job of limiting interceptions. He did have a problem with taking a few too many sacks and getting into some things that we're about to talk about with Jaden Daniels aside from from the rushing capability. He had a really good deep ball that's, I think, a little bit underrated because he wasn't the consistent intermediate passer. And that's a little bit how Jaden Daniels profiles too because while Jaden Daniels did do fairly well, you know, obviously he was an elite, efficient passer. He had a 92 PFF grade. He had over 11 yards per attempt. He did incredible things in the passing game. But one of the things he did the most consistently was just throw beautiful downfield passes that were perfectly dropped in the bucket. And so that is really the first important change when we're talking about something that changed in, in Jaden Daniels profile moving forward. That's something that you're going to look at the most to be the number one sign on if he can be a high upside guy moving forward, or if he is just a rushing floor guy, because I think he can be a rushing floor guy. I think he has enough. I think he has enough patience, the limiting of negative plays, but if he's going to have the high upside, that's going to come down to if those passing gains are going to be something that can be stable and significant and keep going at the next level. I think the number one concern people have to remember about why we have concerns about older prospects is that we really are in a bit uncharted territory because we know that prospects get better as they play more and more and more. And we don't have a whole lot of evidence of what happens when players get even more time, a fifth year, a sixth year. And that might sound silly and you wouldn't expect players to just randomly and magically start breaking out in the fifth year, but it would change the level of polish, right? Compare college football to like AAA baseball. AAA baseball, in terms of the polish of some of the players you can get at that level, are completely different because you can have players at AAA baseball who have been playing AAA baseball for five, ten years. So obviously they're being more and more polished. They get better at certain things. They, they don't necessarily have the talent to play at the elite level, but they might get better at AAA baseball over time. And in that same capacity, just because a player continues to get better at the college football level does not necessarily mean they ultimately would have become an NFL player or a better NFL player. Sometimes the things that hold people back are significant, particularly at the quarterback position where you have to be one of the top 32. I mean, if if college football went on, on forever, the top 160 quarterbacks in the world might be, you know, the 30 in college or the 130 in college football and the 30 in the pros. No, not exactly. I'm sure that 
NFL backup would still be a more desirable job. But the point is that there's a lot of differences that we don't really know how to chart when it comes to how to judge a player getting better. So the first thing you got to look at, just talked about it, is the deep ball, how much better the deep ball got. Other than that, I think you have to also look into the Arizona State situation. Now, I don't know what the Herm Edwards reputation is out of the people who don't follow college football that much. And I'm not saying too much that people around college football aren't saying, but if you don't follow college football, you might not know exactly how bad Arizona state went because Arizona state went pretty poorly. And that's not even discussing the COVID-19 recruitment violations. So I'm not necessarily saying that Jane Daniels gets a free pass for the three years that were there, but there are some questions that you have to ask about the infrastructure being put in there that you feel like you don't have to ask because it's an accomplished NFL coach. But when you really break down what was actually happening and what insiders claim was going on at the time, you do have to ask yourself if the best people for the modern game were being put around Jaden Daniels before he went to LSU. And then aside from that, I think the real thing that teams are going to be able to focus on, to grab onto, to hold tight and feel good about is the development of the explosion as an athlete. Because while Jane Daniels got bigger, he went from 170, 170, 175 pounds to 200, 205, 210. While he did that, he didn't do that by getting fat. And he didn't do that in a way that made him slower because now he weighs more against gravity. No, he did that in a way that gave him lean muscle mass that he needed to gain for a guy who is 6'3", 6'4", in terms of height. And he needed to gain that and he needed to become a more fulfilled athlete. And he did do that. And I think my point in getting into this is just that when you see a guy who changes specifically in a way that is tangible and a little bit objective in how fast he is and how big he is, that makes you a little bit able to say, okay, I want to look a little bit more into what he's done since he made that physical development and kind of underscore a little bit what he's made before that physical development. And I think you're going to see teams have that kind of mindset a little bit when it comes to Jaden Daniels. So to finish focusing on those very first and very very last points, while the downfield passing and passing efficiency leaps are what you hope for in the upside, the development of the physical explosiveness combined with the large history of turnover prevention that is not just a flash in the pan that you have a long history of success in give greater confidence to the potential of a fantasy floor as well as who Daniel could be as both an NFL and fantasy starter. Daniels is my quarterback three, and the big reason in the difference between May and Daniels is that progression I talked about earlier. May's progression is far more in the ideal category because he was a top 10 Heisman finisher as a true sophomore. But despite that, I do have them at very similar grades, even though Jaden Daniels is my quarterback three. And in one quarterback leagues, where the floor of the quarterback position matters considerably less because you're only starting, say, 10 to 12 instead of 24... Jaden Daniels would be my quarterback too because in a one quarterback league, I'm much more willing to shoot the moon when it comes to the quarterback position. And then on the flip side, I have Jaden Daniels far higher than J.J. McCarthy. I mean, he's only one spot higher, but the difference in being a top 10 pick and being a top 25 pick is all of those high-end efficiency in high-volume things, the performance and production, the proof that Jaden Daniels has given us that while I do like J.J. McCarthy in spite of some of those things, J.J. McCarthy not giving those, us those things yet does put him in closer to the pick 2025 range for my personal grades towards Jaden Daniels in that top five, top 10 range as a top three quarterback. 
So next up, I'm going to talk about Ladd McConkie, who is one of my most controversial grades. Ladd McConkie is 22 years, 10 months as of September 1st, which means he will turn 23 during the season. So he's fairly old, but not one of the older prospects I've ever evaluated. He's also 5'11 and a half, 187 pounds, and has 30 and 1 inch arms. Now, only one of those measurements is not a problem for me, which is the 5'11 and a half, but that's something I want to talk about a little bit later because it really relates to the traits, and I don't want to go back and forth with talking about it. My biggest issue with McConkie is the production. Every single slight adjustment I make to the wide receiver position and how I scout the wide receiver position is to really help me identify who I believe should have the red flags when it comes to things like production. So for example, Roman Wilson, while he has a low volume overall, his proportional production is really helped out by the fact that he had a low passing volume offense that was also extremely slow, so he still scores fairly highly in the proportional production. Ladd McConkie was on a team that threw the crap out of the football, and I think that's not said enough. Because people say Georgia offense, Georgia offense, Georgia offense, and I get it because it's very systematic in how it runs, but there were so many passing yards to go around. He should have had more than 700. If Roman Wilson, it's the same thing. If Roman Wilson had 700 on a team that had 4,600, I would not like Roman Wilson nearly as much as I do. And I know there's so many other things that go into it. I know it's a very involved conversation, but at the end of the day, that is a big scale difference to me because Ladd McConkie is the only player on my board that has a true, true red flag. Because every other player, like say an A.D. Mitchell, okay, A.D. Mitchell is close to the red flag area, but he's still an early declare. He's close to the red flag area, but he missed his one of his three high or he missed one of his three college seasons with his sophomore year almost entirely with injury. He had a really good freshman season. So really it's just that he didn't do well as a junior that we're really focusing on AD Mitchell. And then he declared early as an early declare. So do I have a ton of problems with AD Mitchell's profile? Sure. But compared to Ladd McConkey, Ladd McConkey is the only production profile, and that's why he's not in my top 12. He's the only production profile that other people talk about a lot that is just blood red to me. And I know people don't talk about him as a production-based wide receiver, but it's just rare to me to project so highly a wide receiver who has done so little because I think people are getting too archetypal. There's a lot of things to like in the archetype of Ladd McConkie because he stops so well, and that's a that's a big trait for me, the way he decelerates, not just the way he speeds up, but the way he decelerates, the way he understands nuance. And I watched five full All-22s before I even started writing this segment, some of them from 2023, but also some of them from 2022 because I really wanted to make sure I was seeing it right. And I see all the things I think that a lot of other people see. It's just the translation to me is not quite the same in how I believe that it's going to potentially translate to the next level. Not necessarily because I believe it can't be like that. When I watch Ladd McConkie, I do see a guy who could be like a Wes Welker. And sorry for the comps that are about to come. But I do see a guy who could be like a Wes Welker. And I do understand where that comes from. But to me, that is an extreme projection and something that I don't know why people are so willing to bet on it at the end of the day. It's interesting because the, the, the NFL copies itself a lot. And with Puka Nakua, you saw a wide receiver who was a project, but was not necessarily built like DK Metcalf. And my theory is that the NFL is catching on to all of these production things, obviously, because the biggest misses that they've had, what what fantasy has been saying for years, is that the biggest misses that the NFL has are the NFL misses that don't have production. And that's fairly true in recent history. And so you're seeing, I think, a lot of teams that are analytically based make more and more of their decisions based on that. And I understand the idea behind 
okay, now we're going to look for project wide receivers that have really good route running and really good hands, as opposed to look for really good project wide receivers that look like worse version of DK Metcalf. I totally think that is a good way to go about it, but it's kind of like the anti money ball because the whole point of like a many money ball esque concept is that you identify a market inefficiency and then you buy it up as a market inefficiency. This is, I've identified a market inefficiency, so let's pay four times as much for it. And that makes no sense to me. Lad McConkey is being valued at a rate that's way higher than this profile has ever been valued before. And have we mis-evaluated this profile before? I think so. But I also feel like this is a massive overcorrection, right? So on one of the earlier shows, I mentioned people figuring out Lad McConkey as being a reason that I didn't really like Lad McConkey. And that sounded really vague and I didn't love the way it sounded, but I also didn't really know if I should go further into detail. And there's an element of this that is maybe in the terms of the elusiveness, the route running, the nuance, because we haven't seen it tested as often that maybe we are overrating the route running against error. And I do subscribe to that just a little bit as a potential theory of what could bring down Ladd McConkey, but that's not really what I mean. What I mean by that is physical play, which is what gets into the size. Now, not as many people talk about arm length, but 5'11 and a half makes you think that his size is pretty decent for an outside wide receiver, but 30 and 1 8 inch arms are very, very small arms for an outside wide receiver. And so when you combine that with 187 pounds, two of his three measurements that I look at for a physical wide receiver, which are important things specifically for projecting a wide receiver outside, are very poor. They're not even not that good. They're pretty outright bad. And so Ladd McConkey is this player from the very beginning, before I dug into anything, before I realized how bad his proportional production was on my own scale, the very first note you write down, I think almost anybody writes down, is, is, this, is this guy inside or is he inside-outside versatile? And when you look at the arm length and history, when you look at the weight in history, these are not things that profile as an outside wide receiver. So I see him as more of an inside guy. And I think at the point of attack, you are going to worry about things physically. You are going to worry about those first five yards. You are going to worry about the catch point. And so because I am worried about these things, because I haven't seen them proven, right? If, if Ladd McConkey was a guy like Devonta Smith, who he had these physical red flags, but his whole tape was him proving that the physical red flags didn't hold him back. That would be a different story. Ladd McConkey has all these things I'm concerned about and no production to prove that he's not that guy so at the end of the day could lad mcconkey be the next west welker could he be the next you know i don't like to use puka nakua and cooper cup because especially using the arm length and using the weight i don't think these guys do profile as the same size cooper cup and puka nakua are far bigger than lad mcconkey to me so i don't profile them the same way that's why i use west welker but could he be the next west welker i definitely think so he's very good and he knows a lot of things i also believe he could be the next guy who can't play outside because he gets jammed up a lot and doesn't play really well through physical contact and just does some all right things so i think the bottom line for me with lad mcconkey is i think lad mcconkey is getting bumped up rankings because people say things like oh he's really safe and i don't understand what that means for fantasy football are you saying like he's a really good person on and off field and that he's more likely than most people to be a wide receiver four for the next three years because i definitely believe that and that's not to say he can't be better than that but for the most part in fantasy we really don't care about floor floor outcomes the really bottom tier outcomes that are 
like just kind of valuable for an NFL team, you might get a flash in the pan Hunter Renfro season. But for the most part, they're not all that valuable. And so I'm just not as sure as other people that Ladd McConkey does have this safe floor in the same way that other people see it. I do think he's more likely to put up some fantasy points in two or three years than some of these other guys. But if he's not putting up a decent number, I'm not sure that that's the amount that I'm going to worry about. So at the end of the day, the number one thing about my rankings that I said last time was that my wide receiver 12, uh, the top 12 wide receivers were becoming a clear tier and Ladd McConkey was not inside that. Am I a little bit nervous that that's too aggressive? Absolutely. Did I really change my opinion about it? Probably not. But I will say Ladd McConkey is very clearly my wide receiver 13. There's no one behind Ladd McConkey at this point that I think is going to come over him. Now, obviously, that's not including things like draft capital, just completely changing things up. But I don't think Ladd McConkey is going to go any further down. But I still don't see a guy that I want to put in the range with the other 12 players that I like quite a bit more. So Ladd McConkey is still someone after a long reevaluation and reconsideration and looking at myself and saying, could I be messing this one up? I really do give myself the exact same grade as Ladd McConkey, someone who can be a very usable player at the next level, but someone who I don't see the explosive or high volume play that I'm really looking for when I scout this wide receiver position. And so for that reason, combined with specifically the idea that he has a red flag in production, Ladd McConkey is outside my crucial top 12 wide receivers. And then just real quick on Ricky Pearsall, don't want to spend too long on him because the section's already been fairly long and I did cover Ricky Pearsall in the second ever episode. Now that episode does not have nearly as good of audio quality and I do pre-apologize for that if you go back and listen to it. But I think the key thing with Ricky Pearsall is that I don't really change my tune about it. And as, as a lot of these things say... I am analytical. I'm not, I try not to be too analytical, but when I see a wide receiver who's going to turn 24 years old before he starts in the NFL, I want to be impressed on the film. And Ricky Pearsall checked some boxes and he continues to check some boxes for me, but he does not like impress me. And so that's really hard for me to, to quantify picking a 24 year old wide receiver anywhere near where some people suggest he should go, like say the second or third round of the NFL draft range. And I don't, I can't get around to that with how important analytics and early production analytics are at this position. I mean, I did just talk about Jaden Daniels and Jaden Daniels and Ricky Pearsall were on the same Arizona state team. So I want to give him the same credit as just maybe a dysfunctional organizational structure going on at the time at that school. But the key difference is that Jaden Daniels peak season is an immaculate peak season. Ricky Pearsall's peak season is one that I really don't like under scrutiny. I talked about the Georgia game in detail in that second episode, but Georgia's the one key game that he put up big stats against that you go, wow, he, he put up big stats against Georgia, but it was almost all in garbage time. And a lot of the games that he did play well at in his 900 yard season, which is his peak season, were some of the worst teams in college football. And, you know, Graham Mertz isn't a great college football quarterback, but he was a decent college football quarterback in 2023. So Ricky Pearsall is a player who I do understand why he checks some boxes because he's got enough size, even though his arm length is uh, worse on him as well. He, you know, it's, it's fine enough. He doesn't have any red flags in size, but his arms are smaller than his height percentile, which does push him more into and inside a big slot wide receiver. And so I do see why people like him in that big slot wide receiver build, especially. But at 24 years old, Ricky Pearsall is just not someone I'm targeting currently. I talked about how Ladd McConkey is not in the top 12, but he's very close. 
Ricky Pearsall is not all that close because I look at someone like Jalen McMillan and I understand that these things ebb and flow. And sometimes just because a guy had an 1100 yard season a, a year before and he doesn't have as good, doesn't mean that that's the only reason. Maybe people just really never like Jalen McMillan that much. And coming into the season, I thought I'd be lower than a lot of people on Jalen McMillan, but he doesn't get talked about at all anymore. And if I'm comparing Jalen McMillan to Ricky Pearsall, I'd probably just rather have Jalen McMillan straight up, not even as like a value proposition. I think he's probably the better prospect, at least on my own eye right now. Now, maybe I'm very far off on that. People seem to really like Ricky Pearsall. I did put a Greg Jennings comp on him from an upside perspective, because I do think you can see some similar things there. But Ricky Pearsall is just not a guy I'm all that high at. If I had to guess, I would say Ricky Pearsall right now is close to wide receiver 20. There's just a bit left in the show, so just one last time, I'd like to encourage anybody who has enjoyed the show, who maybe was on the fence the first time I mentioned it, and has been thinking a little bit more and more that this might be a show that brings to something to them on a regular basis i would just encourage you to go out and follow the show i would like it if you told somebody about it i'd like it if you told your league about it but i understand why people don't do that kind of thing all i really would really like anybody to do is just follow the show because i would like to build the audience i like doing this it means a lot to me when other people enjoy the content and so that's all i have to say and i'll get into the last few bits of this show so now I'm going to do something I really haven't done on the show before, and that's take a step back from football itself and talk about this football show. Now, before anyone shuts this off, the first thing I wanted to touch on is the NFL draft schedule for this show, because I want this audience to be as sharp as possible when it comes to information around the draft. Now, to be clear, professionals who get paid and make much more money can make firm promises, but the plan as of today is to have a final rankings update the week before the draft, and then the week of the draft, I'm going to do a big piece on draft capital, draft capital trends, what does draft capital mean at the quarterback, running back, and wide wide receiver positions primarily, and then the draft itself, because day three is not as important. Obviously, it is important, and we're going to talk about day three players a lot, obviously. But because day three is not as important, my plan as of now is to do a live reaction show after day two and get it out as quickly as possible so that there's enough time to start getting in that information. Now, I will also be doing an update on Monday's show where I will go through the draft the, the draft rankings that I have currently after the NFL draft, so that will be Monday. But just in case there's, there's some early drafts and everybody's getting the information at the same time on Monday, if you're drafting Monday, maybe you're even in a league that drafts before Monday because they really want to put you on the spot right after the draft. I don't know what all kinds of situations people who listen to the show are in, but I want to make sure that they have the best possible information as early as possible so once again my plan for that is to do a draft capital show the week of the draft on day two of the draft that's a friday on the at the end of day two of the draft i will get to work on recording a show don't know exactly when it'll release but i'm going to release it before i go to bed on friday so it'll you know for most people that'll be a saturday morning thing so you can listen to it maybe before you watch day three of the nfl draft or if that's something that you're someone who pays attention to or not but you know it's fun to, to you know keep the draft on in the background 
Now, I do have a few more post-draft plans to really run down the complete picture of this draft class, and these will go deep into the day three players. For those who like sleeper content, this might be the show for you. They just might not start right away as they might take more work, but they will probably come within that first week after the draft in terms of the deep, deep sleepers. You know, I'm, I'm planning on going through every day three player for every team, most likely. So those are the big things uh, in and this is kind of the point of no return. We're going to really start talking about show specific show oriented things. So, you know, if you do want to tune out, I do respect that entirely. You, you listen to the show to listen to football. You don't listen to the show to listen to me talk about this show. Now, I did have one more brief schedule note, which is just that I love futures and I love talking about futures. And I know that's not something everybody loves as much as I do, but my first 2024 rankings list, I released one week after the draft, and I told people that that's what I planned on doing this year as well. Now, that was before I started doing this show, and I'm going to be very busy around that time, more than I was expecting, because of this show. It's not that this show requires that much work, but for somebody who does have all these prospects ranked very firmly before the draft, it's never really been any work at all after the draft for me before, other than really typing up a really quick post. So this will be a lot more than that. But because of the fact that I did mention that I was planning on making a 2025 list one week after the NFL draft. That is still my plan. My plan to kind of deal with the workload is I'm going to make my 2025 show throughout the next two months. I don't know exactly when I'm going to finish it, but whenever I finish it, I'm just going to shelve it because those things aren't going to change that much. But the point is that if you're somebody who enjoys that thing, you're going to get a 2025 show around that time. If you're someone who doesn't enjoy that thing, just understand that it's not going to, it's just going to be an added kind of bonus show that week, right? It's probably going to come one week after the NFL draft, maybe a week and a half after the NFL draft. And there's going to be a bonus special show that's going to completely set aside everything we're talking about in the draft season in terms of the 2024 draft, in terms of where you're taking people in your rookie draft. And it's just going to focus on the players who are most likely, in my opinion, at this stage to be impactful players in next year's draft. Now, in terms of the show itself, I'm very proud of the small but growing following that this show has so far. The hardest part about names is that you know, when you're on the spot, it's something that it's really hard to think about. And I talked about it with other people and there weren't too many different names that came out. We tried to use AI a few times and there weren't too many different names that came out that we really liked. And then every time you think of a name, it's like, oh, Prospect the Pros. It's like, oh, wait, nope, that one's taken. And then you, you finally find a name that you might be willing to roll with and you can't find it on any podcasting app, any YouTubing thing. And then you find out that it has a trademark for something that has nothing to do with sports. And so then you pull a plug on that one at the last moment. But Fantasy for Real was my pretty much my backup name from the very beginning, either for real fantasy or fantasy for real because if you haven't you know heard it yet in the introduction i'm sure most people have but it is a play on my last name the opening of the show with my last name and the show title creates a kind of natural i don't want to call it a rhyme because it's one of those really dumb rhymes but it is kind of a natural rhyme in the opening of the show it kind of turns it into something that kind of almost sounds like a couplet i don't know if i'm going to like that or try to avoid that yet but anyway it is kind of the backup name i don't know you know let me know it's not a permanent name let me know what you think about it it's really hard because what i'm really trying to do is i'm trying to find a, a name 
that gets to the fact that yes, this is this is kind of a multi-interest football show, at least in my opinion. It's primarily dynasty football because that's the game I play, and that's the advice that most of the stuff is geared to. But it, more than most dynasty fo- sh- shows, maybe more than any show that calls itself a dynasty football show, it's going to talk about college football. It's going to talk about things like you know what games to watch for this week of the college football season. I did two. I don't know if you want to call them columns because they're getting posted on social media, but I did two consistent write-ups throughout the football season last year and not just talking about NFL or college. They just both happened to be college football writers for the most part. And those two consistent write-ups were who rose in college football last week. And the other one was what to watch for in college football today. I usually released it Saturday morning for people who wanted to know what the big name games were around college football. And, you know, on that note, for a lot of people, that would be a Debbie show. But I don't really like the idea of making this a Debbie show because at least from my experience, a lot of Debbie shows in the market go way, way deeper and make their whole thing about digging deep for those sleepers that no one else has. And that's not really what I'm looking to do. I like to target things that some people see as Debbie in more of a general interest football kind of way, right? Like, oh, not not looking into like, who's my favorite group of five sleeper this year, but like, look at how deep the Alabama and Texas rosters are. This is what to look out for in the Alabama and Texas game coming up and that's kind of what I did and I did it pretty well in this last season there were a lot of players like Jalen Polk, Keon Coleman, who broke out, who I highlighted on those pieces before they broke out. And then I talked about a lot of players and the risers piece. I'm very proud of my week one risers. My week one risers, it, I mean, it did have other players. Of course it had other players. But just talking about the players who came out into the 2024 draft, my very first week one risers had Keon Coleman, Brian Thomas Jr., Xavier Leggett, Jalen Wright, all listed as week one risers. And those were some of the biggest names that weren't being talked about before the year that got talked about or, or are getting talked about right now for rookie drafts. So that's the kind of content that I kind of like, and I'm, I kind of try to get geared into to listen into a lot. And so those are the kind of things that I'm going to want to talk about on the show. And so, you know, back to the whole point, it's very hard for me to find a title for it because I don't want to say college fantasy because I don't want to suggest to people that I'm doing college fantasy because college fantasy is a very different thing that i don't know anything about i don't know how many stats i'm supposed to be looking for i don't know how many touchdowns i'm supposed to be looking for i don't know like like am i I supposed to always be getting power five players playing the group of five or is that a bad thing because they get benched like i have no idea how college fantasy works i'm not really looking for your debbie sleepers if you play in a league that rosters like 200 college players i'm really interested in the premium prospects that will be we'll be talking about moving forward you know this is kind of a different subject that I really wasn't planning on getting into, but my biggest pet peeve with Debbie material that I see on Reddit is that I'll see somebody put on like a post that it's like a three-star transfer player who played at a very low level school last year. And they're transferring to a big 12 school to be like the third or fourth best wide receiver. And I just want to be like, man, we haven't had a post about three of the most popular names you know, we haven't had a post about Luther Burden yet. We haven't had a post about Evan Stewart yet. We haven't had a post about Trevor Etienne yet. We haven't had a post about all of these incredible, incredible players. And people are like, here's a player you can find that will almost surely never hit. But I think they have a 0.4% chance instead of a 0.1% chance. So I'm not trying to dog anybody, but it's just my biggest problem with content in this field is that to me, football is always an entertainment game. And so as much as 
some people aren't going to, maybe maybe it'll turn some people off that I like to talk about college football and be more of a dynasty show, but I'm going to have a show that talks a lot about things like I talked about in this episode, like Kenneth Walker, like DK Metcalf, like T Higgins. And then I'm also going to talk about who I think the, the biggest games in college football are this upcoming week, not from a college football perspective, but from a talent in the NFL perspective. So if you happen to be on a Saturday at 3 p.m. and you happen to see the games that are on TV, you might remember from this show like oh wait there was a wide receiver that he that he said some people are starting to talk about in in circles that's very interesting i might pay attention to that guy if i watch that game at 3 p.m that's really what i want to do i want to add interest to your saturday football i want to use dynasty football to use at to to add interest to your saturday football because saturday football is ultimately my favorite kind of football all due respect to the nfl all love to the nfl not to continue to alienate people but i grew up around south bend indiana i grew up right next to notre dame i grew up in the land that believes college football is more important than anything on the planet earth i attended indiana university but still which yeah football's way less important there but i still i I grew up in the world where college football is the most important thing and so even though what i do is most important to the nfl and the nfl is the most important game to dynasty football as a whole what i'm going to talk about in this show is going to be a little bit more focused on some other things And so again, the point being that that just makes it hard for me to find a title. So the title that just kind of is just a play on my name, that's the one we're rolling with right now. If you got something that works for me, that you can see all the different things this show is trying to be and you have a name that makes sense, because the ones I come up with are constantly other shows I watch, because the one I came up with after Prospects of Pros, I was like, oh, something like Tailgate. And I was like, wait, I used to listen to that show too before it it ended. But so if you have any ideas, I'm intrigued in that. Uh, If anybody saw the logo get bumped around or moved back and forth, I do apologize for that. I was having some problems with what I wanted the logo to look like and if some things were distracting or not distracting. Acting. And so it, it it is at a place where I feel like it can stay the same for now, at least for a few weeks, which I wouldn't have said uh, a couple days ago. But I am still looking to potentially change it. I do have other ideas. Maybe if the show gets a little bit bigger, I might have a few different logos that I allow people to vote on. So that might be something to look forward in the future. But the logo is not a really big deal. It's just the fact of the matter is, keep in mind, these things are all subject to change. So anyway, that's all I had for today's show. Make sure to follow the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I usually have a better idea by now what I'm going to be talking talking about next but i really don't know how the combine and news will affect it right because i obviously we're going to talk about a certain amount of stuff from the combine but what happens if say justin fields is traded this weekend that's going to be something that i'm going to have to talk about significantly not have to obviously but that i'm going to want to talk about significantly because the whole thing about the nfl things that we like to talk about on the show are the ones that are controversial and justin fields moving location is going to be very controversial but until next time let's hope to see some fast time this weekend and goodbye.